Praise and Worship is a community of people in Branson, Missouri, who are gathering, growing, being encouraged, and sharing with others the love and hope of Jesus. Learn more online at branson.church. So I have this question for you, and we've been asking it a little bit through the course of the, of the study of the Gospel of Mark, and that is, what are, what are your assumptions and what are your expectations? We, we've been talking about this, and, and we've been giving lots of different examples about expectations. And I want to tell this story that, that's kind of a fun story. It was the story of our first date, Debbie and I's first date. And we, um, it was kind of the first official date, because we unofficially got together and went to church one night, so that was kind of fun. But um, she knew then, Bible geek extraordinaire, she, she was getting together with. But um, we go to our first date, and it was to the putt-putt place on South Campbell in Springfield. And I've told this story once before, so you guys might remember it. And it but it was, what was fun is about this moment, uh, other than it was like a magical beginning, um, was that we get there, and the owner of the putt-putt place knows Debbie, and he then proceeds to put out over the PA to the whole place as we approach the first hole. He goes, and, and as I step up to begin my first shot, he says, I want everyone in the whole place to know that if this Joe Schmo here at hole number one can hit a hole in one, I'll give a free game to the whole place. Everybody here gets a free round of putt-putt golf. And I'm thinking, no pressure. And, and so somehow, someway, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you believe Mark Hunsaker walked up and, and it went right in, hole in one. Now, some people could say maybe that was the Lord telling you she's the one, right? And I would, I would have to say that I did a go with that interpretation. As you well know, we've been married 25 years now. So, so this moment, more than 25 years ago, um, was just it's like, wow, it was like magic. It, it was, it was amazing. And I want you to tell, I want you to know that expectations and assumptions were just kind of annihilated by that. Because my expectation was, there's no way I can hit this thing. It's like an 18-foot putt over like that outdoor, indoor-outdoor carpet, you know, and it's got all these imperfections in the concrete, so the ball's just going, whatever. But it just went right in. And you're like, how could this happen? And it's a fun story. It's, a, it's one that makes everybody laugh and smile. And I love that story. Plus, it was just kind of awesome. Um, and needless to say, the, the guy was like a little grouchy then because all of a sudden he had to give everyone a free round of putt-putt golf. But it made me start to think about, and, it, and I, hope it, I hope that a story like this would make you start to think about, well, why, why, did, why did the Lord see fit to do that? What was his, did he have a plan in that? And of course, I would say, of course. But I hope that you can see this idea that no matter what your expectations are, God is going to work. No matter what your, ex, what your assumptions are, in spite of ourselves, my expectations and assumptions were there's no way, right? No way. Um, he's going to work. He is going to work. He's working now, and he will continue to work in the future. I want us to take a look at some scriptures. We're going to put these on the screen, zoom in on them, and I want to ask you the first question of this is, if it's true he's going to work, despite our expectations and our assumptions, why is Jesus so hard to see? Have you ever noticed? Sometimes you can see him. You can see his hands. You can see what he's doing. But most of the time, you can't. And I bet most of us don't sit here and go, oh, I totally understand how God works. I bet most of us don't sit there and say that. We might, in one sense, we might be like, I know God is love. And so every once in a while, I can just see his love, right? But we live in a world where love is kind of the foreign 
thing. It's the, it's, the, it's the thing that has to go upstream to get any work done. And so most of us live in circumstances and situations where it's like, I don't really feel like loving anyone right now, and I don't really see how he could either. Look at this, look at this question or this, this scripture, Mark 3.21. He says, when his family heard about this, they went out to take charge of him, for they said he's just he's out of his mind. So we mentioned that with Jesus, he he, you know, as C.S. Lewis kind of kind of coined, um, he's either a lunatic, he's a liar, or demon, or he's Lord. And even his own family, who maybe you could make the argument that the people you're, people you're closest to are the ones that are the hardest to know. And, and, and especially when it's family, when it's brothers and sisters, or, you know, you, you know, you're just sitting there, well, Jesus can't be anything special. He, you know, he didn't put the toys away, you know, or whatever it might be. He can't be, he never picks up his socks, you know, or whatever. Of course, we know Jesus was without sin, so I don't know how that played out with socks, but however it played out, they knew him well enough to know that he's just lost his mind. He's gone completely bonkers. He's got this giant crowd following him around. He's healing people, or is he? Like, because if you're like me, when you see somebody get healed or whatever, you're like, I don't know, but was that, was that a setup? Was the guy a plant? You know, how'd this all work? Take a look at verse 22. The second possible answer is he's not, uh, he's not just crazy, he's a liar. He is evil. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebub. It's a great password, by the way, if you ever want to lock your computer. Beelzebub, don't use it, I'm just kidding. Beelzebub. And, and then there's kind of, a, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of just adding the word in because it always says by in our English translations, but the Greek word is in, and it's in the prince of demons. He is driving out demons, they say. Now, Beelzebub, despite being an interesting choice for password, is, is kind of a, it's kind of one of these words that's transliterated. It went from Hebrew to Aramaic and then to Greek and then it lands in English. And so you need to know that all of those languages have different actual letters to represent vowels. In fact, Hebrew, don't even get me started on Hebrew vowels. Those are just wacky. And so, and so what happens is, is it looks a little different, but what it actually is is house of Baal or house of Baal, depending on how you've heard that pronounced. And Baal was a character in the Old Testament who pagans tended to worship in the people around the, those of Israel. And he was this sort of prince of demons. I mean, that's kind of what he was. And so th- that's why they're invoking his name. They're saying, you're doing that. He's actually against God. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is so important because it comes down to our ability to see Jesus. Have you ever felt like that you understand what's going on, but it doesn't seem to work itself out? And I, I said that wrong. That came out wrong. Let's go like this. The teachers of the law are looking God Almighty in the face, who has come to them as a preacher man, and they're calling him the devil. And can, can we not see the irony there? And can we also not see the, the, the blindness that is there? And what happens to us sometimes is we're so caught up in, and we've been talking about this each week because it keeps coming up. It came up again today. Jesus goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He's at Friday night Shabbat. That's what he's doing. And they're there. They're going to heal. Excuse me. He's at the Sabbath. He knows what they're thinking. He tells to them, he tells the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in the middle of everyone. And he asks them, which is better to do on the Sabbath, good or evil? to save or to kill. And of course, they're just, all they can see is the doctrine. You tracking with me? 
All they can see is the doctrine. They can't see the people. They can't see the man. They can't see God. And what we have to do is we always have to ask this question, who is in the house? If you and I don't focus on Jesus, there won't be a house. You, you, you see what, how this can, if we don't focus on Jesus, there won't be a people. If you, we don't focus on Jesus, then let's go, what is it, we got some golf on today or maybe some baseball spring training going. You know, we can go do some other things. We can go, the, the, I think the weather might hold. We could even go down to the lake a little bit. I don't know, but the point is, is that if we don't keep our focus on Jesus, then what we will do is we will believe anything. We will be able to be deceived to believe anything. Deceived to the point where Jesus could literally be standing in front of us and we call him the devil. There was an old uh, joke. What would happen to your church if Jesus bodily walked in the door? Would we welcome him? Would you welcome a guy that would come in and you know, just totally break down our expectations and our assumptions? This is a question that we have to ask ourselves. Take a look at verses 24 and 27. We're going to kind of put them together so that we can start to see what Jesus is saying. Because he, he, he sees how the house is, right? If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Now, he's talking about the devil's house, which I think is interesting. In fact, no one can enter the strong man's house, the devil's house, to plunder his possessions unless he first binds the strong man, and then he can plunder the house. Jesus is, is speaking to them in parables. Because the prophet Isaiah had said, you know, they're going to reject the Messiah, so he will speak in parables. They rejected the, they, they rejected the stone, the, the capstone. The builders rejected him, right? And so here he is. He goes, okay, if you're going to look me in the eye and call me Beelzebub, the house of Baal, the house of Baal, the prince of demons, then I'm going to speak to you in parables. And he says to them, how can a house divided stand if it's divided against itself. Now, of course, this gets this particular line, a house divided against itself, gets picked up by universities, governments, you know, the, the leadership gurus that, that, that are on the circuit, training CEOs and, and business leaders. They all love to use this because we have to be united. And it becomes kind of a pep talk. Pep talk, you know, we gotta be together on this. We gotta come together. We gotta follow this together. But here's the thing, guys. If it ain't Jesus, then we're not gonna be together. Because the only reason why anyone would want to be together outside of Jesus is for our own self-interest. And this is just, this is the, the brokenness of human nature. But he says, Jesus says, I should say, that what, what he's here to do is to accomplish something bigger. Not just to create a united house, which of course will happen through the Holy Spirit. But to plunder the strong man's house. I'm going to take you back to the putt-putt place. We're at the putt-putt place, and we had this great moment. We're having this great evening, and here's the challenge that we have. Is everybody celebrated when they got the free putt-putt game? But now what we're doing is now we're all going to do this, and we're going to leave there, and we're going to go through life, and some of us have hope, and some of us don't. Some of us may have um, what we need when we need it, and some of us may not. And I want you to think about all the people that you know and about who they are and about what they're going through in their life. Think about the people that you care about, the people that you pray about. Do they know Jesus? Some of them do. Some of them don't. And we pray that they would. We pray that they would receive his gifts of grace. And yet, 
we would argue they might be under the oppression of the devil, right? They might be in his grasp. They might be bound and held in his house. We all have loved ones. We all have friends. We have coworkers. We have people who go to school with which we're like, they're, they're struggling in life. And maybe, maybe you're sitting there going, hey, Mark, Mark what about me? Said, I'm feeling that too. And what you must know is that Jesus' mission is to bind the strong man, to bind him, to tie him up, and to plunder his house, to take the people who are captive and to set them free. This is what Jesus is talking about. And see, a lot of times we will be focused on, you know, can I pay the rent? You know, uh, how are my grades doing at school? You know, um, this thing at work is, has the potential to cause a lot of problems. You know, whatever it might be, you know, my relationship is really broken right now. I don't know what to do. We're focused on those things. And I understand that. I, and, and we don't, I'm not saying not to be. But we have to see what stands behind all of that. Who is our enemy, right? Who, who are our allies? And our enemy, of course, is the evil one, the one who is here to destroy us, to, 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 to divide us, to disrupt us. And the one who is here to save us is here to bind him up. Take a look at verses 28 and 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, all the sins and blasphemies of men, that's all people, will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. And I love how the visual Bible depicted the actor who was playing Jesus when he said that. He said that like with sadness, right? And frustration and, and this, this attitude of like, how could anyone not receive the free gift that I'm here to give them? Not, how could anyone not want to be rescued from this broken world? This is kind of the thing. And Jesus says it right there, all sins will be forgiven. And you're like, which ones? How about all? That's his word. I, wait a minute, but doesn't, can it? Yes, all. Not only will all sins be forgiven, but it's, it's even this blasphemy. It's like sometimes people are like, what, what is blasphemy? What, what if, if you do something a certain way, isn't that blasphemy? Um, here's the only blasphemy that Jesus is interested in. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What is that? That's a big question. I don't know if you guys saw this on, it's been, it was a kind of a big craze about eight years ago. It started and it went for a couple of years. I think it's burned out. I don't know. I haven't seen it lately. But it was the YouTube blasphemy challenge. And what the people would do is they would record themselves blaspheming the Holy Spirit and put it on YouTube for all of the world to see so that they could like prove their atheism. Like, they're like I don't want anything to do with Jesus. And they would record it and put it on YouTube. And we'd be just like, wow, okay. Um, but what's interesting is blaspheming the Holy Spirit is not making a YouTube video and say, you know, I hereby want nothing to do with Jesus. It is this lifelong rejection of God's gift. And it is, it is, it is this, in, this intentional statement, I don't want God in my life. Meanwhile, those of us who believe in Jesus will go along sometimes and we'll stub our toe on a sin or something and we're like, oh my goodness, I've committed the sin, you know, sin against the Holy Spirit. No, no, we are free. We, we have been set free. The strong man has been bound. The only way you and I would ever have a problem is if we look Jesus in the eyes and say, you are the prince of demons. You see how this works. The teachers of the law were very focused on their doctrines and their power and their their control and all those things. And Jesus is saying, all of that would be forgiven if you would just receive what I'm here to give. And this is what it means when we say believing is seeing. Jesus is setting us free, setting all people free. 
So, that causes us to ask this question. How does this actually work? Take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 34 to 35. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. His mother and his brothers and his relatives were outside. And he's pointing to these people that were gathered around him and said, These are my mother and my brother and my sister. Whoever does God's will, that's, that's who they are. Guys, I, I just, I have to, I have to, we have to take a moment and just go, wow, this is so important. This is critical. Anyone who believes in Jesus is his relative, is his, is his sibling, is, is, as Romans chapter 8 would say, a co-heir with Christ. As Galatians chapter 3 would say, all men and women are sons and daughters of Christ, are, are heirs to the kingdom in Galatians 4. Look, remember what he said. He said in Mark chapter 2, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And so when we talk about church, when we talk about Jesus, we talk about quote-unquote religion, as we've been sort of struggling with this here. Um, Jesus is setting the stage very clear. Who is who? You are the children of God. You're like, yeah, Mark, but you don't know anything about me. He, Jesus said it, right? And so now I'm proclaiming what he has proclaimed. Those who repent and believe. Repentance is not a step, a, a seven-step process of like first you do this, then you do this, then you do this other thing. Repentance is turning from one direction and going the other. So I'm going away from God, and Jesus says, come with me. And I go with him. And yeah, I trip and stumble and fall, and I'm in the pit every other step, and he keeps saying, come with me. Come with me. Come with me. And every single time that you in your heart say, okay, I don't know how this is going to go, but I want to go with you. That's what repent and believe the good news means. It doesn't mean that you're suddenly a righteous person the way the world would describe it. The way the world describes righteousness is, well, you got to be a good person. And then you ask them, well, what's a good person? And you're going to get any host of answers to that. Of course, the teachers of the law have their own answer. Can't, can't do anything on the Sabbath, no matter what. And, and, and yet, Jesus is like, I'm here, I'm here to give you permanent Sabbath every single day of your life, every single hour of the day, every single minute of the hour, every second, every breath is given to you in Shabbat. Rest. Rest. This is the good news. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, you and I are made righteous by him. That's what Lent is all about. So we left the putt-putt place, we went on to do our thing, and um, over the course of time, Debbie got to know me a lot better than the night that I hit, sank that hole-in-one and hopefully stole her heart. I don't know if that's when it really happened. But um, at some point later on, things got serious, we got married, and, and then um, we lived happily ever after. Oh wait, it doesn't work like that, does it? We've been very happy for all through it. But as you know, anyone who's been in a relationship more than 10 minutes, conflict happens. And whether you're married or single or divorced or any variation of any of those themes, you know that working with human beings is difficult. We we say the wrong things at the wrong time. We, we, we We lose our temper when we shouldn't. We we get grouchy because we know someone. We know them. We know how their buttons work. And they push ours and we push theirs. And all of these things happen. And we go through life in conflict. And Jesus is sitting here saying, who is who? 
And if, if we look at Jesus, we see him as the Lord. Not a lunatic, not a liar, but the Son of Man and the Son of God who died on the cross for you and for me to set us free. Because when he did that, when he died on the cross, do you know who was bound? There was a strong man that was wrapped right up in those, those pieces of wood that Jesus was nailed to. Because he can no longer accuse you and me. He can't come to you and say, you're just a piece of garbage. And he can say it, but we can say, but I am a piece of garbage that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, pure and holy for me. He did that for me, even while I was in that situation. And with every relationship, we have this need to look at Jesus, to who is who, and then who are you? Who is Jesus? He is the Lord, the Lamb who was slain for you and for me. Who are you? His child. His promise is that you are his child. Believe that and step forward in that freedom, knowing that the strong man is bound and the house has been plundered and the people who were held in slavery, you and me, are free. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you right now to bless us and keep us and we pray that you would indeed set us free. We pray that you would go with us each step of the way and I pray that you would push back the darkness. I pray that those who stand opposed to you would, just as, that, just as they did that day, have to leave, just have to go away because the strong man will be bound. The devil is not going to have power. But we will. The power of the Holy Spirit given to us through your word for the purpose of participating with you in the restoration of everything. Let us see that to be true in our most close relationships, even those that are very familiar and also in our relationships that are out on the perimeter. Maybe these are just acquaintances or people we're still getting to know or anywhere in between. Let us focus on you so that we see who is who. You are the Lord. We are your children. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.